Lead us from the unreal to the real, lead us from darkness to light, lead us from death to immortality. Light us through and through, O Lord, and protect us evermore with thy compassionate face. Om, peace, peace, peace be unto all. Thank you, Maharaj, for that nice introduction. It's very nice to be here. I haven't stood up here and spoken from here in almost 20 years. Yeah, I've been, I've been away 19 years. And, uh, uh, of course, this uh, Southern California is my spiritual home. I joined in Trabuco in 1981 and was there for 16 years, and I have a lot of fond memories. This is kind of a nostalgia trip for me. I was in Trabuco and San Diego and, and Santa Barbara and now here. I thought that what better place to speak about the Wizard of Oz than Hollywood? <laughs> I, I actually prepared this talk uh, a number of years ago. Uh, how many have you, of you have seen the film, The Wizard of Oz? Who hasn't seen it? Anybody? Oh, okay. So we have some who haven't seen it. Ah, okay. Anyhow, this, this, the title of this talk, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, is the uh, title of the main song that uh, Judy Garland sings in this very beautiful film, which I saw many, many times when I was a child. Uh, they used to show it about once a year. And uh, I remember I would sit with my sister and the two of us would watch it every year. So I have a lot of very, very fond memories. And uh, anyone who has seen it knows that it's full of symbolic ideas, that there's so many different ways it can be interpreted. And really, it, it, almost as soon as the, as the film was made, or even earlier, it was a book first, as soon as it came out, everyone was trying to figure out what the symbolism was. Uh, many people thought it was a political tract, that there was some political or social type of uh, symbolism there. But for me, it has a, a tremendous uh, parallel with the whole Vedantic journey that we take. So this is uh, what I would like to do tonight, is just try to uh, explain this spiritual path that we follow in Vedanta with the help of the story that we have uh, in this very beautiful film, uh, The Wizard of Oz. Now let me start with a little bit of background. It was uh, based on a children's book that was written by someone named L. Frank Baum. And it was published in 1900. That means that he was writing this book while Swamiji was in this country. And uh, who can say, perhaps he heard Swamiji speak or read something in, in the paper and got inspired. Uh, uh, we have no evidence of anything like that, but it's interesting that it was that same period of time. And there were several early versions of this. They, they made shows out of it. They made a silent film out of it, musicals. The version that I think most of us know uh, was made in 1939. And uh, 
we can we can see that uh, it's not just a children's story. There's a very deep significance and deep meaning through all of this. There are some of the most important uh, teachings that we have in Vedanta can be seen in the, the storyline uh, of uh, the Wizard of Oz. I'll point out three things which will kind of be the focus of this, that uh, we have different uh, spiritual paths that we can take, which we call the different yogas. So we know we have our four yogas, our karma yoga, jnana yoga, bhakti yoga, and raja yoga. These will be symbolized by the cowardly lion, the scarecrow, the tin man, and Dorothy. So we'll go through these things in little detail. Then we'll have a lot of interesting things about the nature of the personal God uh, as contrasted with or based on the impersonal absolute of Vedanta. And this will be the wizard himself, the Wizard of Oz. And the third teaching, which is really the main theme of, the, uh, of Vedanta, the main theme of uh, this Wizard of Oz, is that uh, what we are seeking is something that we already have, that lies hidden within us. We're searching for it in all other places. Ultimately, we find it within our very own hearts. So we have these main themes here. Now I want to go through the story so we can follow the story and, and get the symbolism of it. It starts out with a young girl by the name of Dorothy who lives on a farm in Kansas with her Aunt M and Uncle Henry. Now why does she live with her aunt and uncle? We don't know exactly. She may be an orphan, but her parents aren't there. They may be her real uncle and aunt or they may be those who adopted her. But somehow there seems to be some significance that Dorothy has this feeling of not fitting in, not really belonging to this world. Uh, we all know the beautiful song that Swamiji sang to Sri Ramakrishna Dakshineshwar that first visit, uh, feeling like a stranger in a strange garb. Uh, that type of feeling we see that Dorothy had. And this kind of sets the stage for the spiritual journey. This, this feeling of not quite fitting in, that uh, uh, we have a real home someplace else. Ramakrishna always gave the example of the maidservant in the rich man's home, that uh, she lives there as if it's her own home. She refers to the children as if they were her own children, uh, but deep down she knows that they don't belong to her, that she has her own home in the village, and that this is really where she belongs. So this Dorothy has a little bit of that, this longing for something uh, far away from her, which of course will turn out to be somewhere over the rainbow. So that's where that, uh, that idea comes. So we have uh, uh, these two great themes that uh, this search for transcendence, the search for something uh, just out of our grasp, and then the second is we find it within ourselves, that we had it all of the time. Uh, we were looking in all the wrong places, but uh, it really uh, is our, our very own property. It's our very own possession, it's our very own self. So the Dorothy, who in the book is only nine years old, in the film she looks more like 13 or 14, something like that, but uh, she, she has this sense of that, this longing for something, uh, some union with some transcendent reality, which to her means uh, giving up what she has and going back, going back to her village, we can say, going back to this, this place somewhere over the rainbow. Now what happens is that 
Uh, Dorothy has a small dog by the name of Toto. And this Toto is getting in trouble digging up the garden of, of one of their neighbors who uh, is uh, mean and cantankerous. Her name was Miss Gulch. And Miss Gulch threatens to have the dog destroyed unless the Dorothy can keep her from sneaking out and getting into the, the garden. So uh, Dorothy tries to explain this whole situation to her aunt and to her uncle and to the three farmhands. So there are three workers there that all love her very much. They look upon her as, as like a, uh, a younger sister, something like that. Uh, and uh, so Dorothy's explaining everything to them and they're trying to calm her down and everything. They don't take it too seriously and then Dorothy wanders off and then she sings that beautiful song somewhere over the rainbow that uh, she longs for a place where she can go where she won't have any worldly problems that way. So this is a type of spiritual longing for some transcendence, to soar like a bird beyond the rainbow. This is the theme of the song. And uh, one of the examples that we get from Sri Ramakrishna uh, of the soul that is, is in that uh, transcendent reality. He says, flying freely like a bird in the chidakasha, the, the space of, of pure consciousness. Uh, so we can look upon uh, Dorothy as the symbolic and ideal yogi. So she'll be the one that will represent uh, our Raja Yoga, seeking to merge herself in some type of transcendent, some type of pure uh, consciousness, some type of higher reality. And in the beginning, she conceives of this as some distant place, somewhere over the rainbow. Then. Dorothy's worst fears are realized. The dog gets out again, and this Miss Gold, she shows up with a court order that she can take Toto away. So she grabs the dog, and she's on a bicycle, and she puts it in the basket, and as she's driving, riding away, then Toto escapes from the basket and uh, comes back to Dorothy's room. So Dorothy decides then that the only thing she can do is run away. So she takes the dog, and she starts to uh, go along this lonely dirt road. And she meets someone who is called Professor Marvel. Professor Marvel uh, is a con man. He is one of these people that would go around and, and uh, put on a turban and, and, have a, and pretend to read the future and do all sorts of things and, and make money, a carnival type of person, but very kindly elderly man. And he, he could see what was going on with his Dorothy. He said, oh, come with me, that uh, I'll take you to far off lands and everything. And while he's talking to her, he's kind of looking through some of her things. He sees this picture of Auntie M. And uh, then he says, well, let me look in my looking glass. And he says, oh, I see this woman, elderly woman. She says, oh, that's my Auntie M. And he says, I see that, oh, she's holding her heart as if uh, she's lost something precious and she's falling down. And uh, so Dorothy says, oh, she misses me. And then he says, yes, go, run home, run home. So he's a very kindly man like that. And uh, as she starts to go back, this big storm comes, this uh, tornado. Dorothy's last name is Gale, Dorothy Gale. So another thing with this, with this tornado, the storm and everything. Uh, all of the work hands and, and uh, her aunt and uncle are calling out for her. They don't, don't know where she is. Uh, ultimately, they have to go into the cyclone shelter 
And Dorothy comes back, but she can't get in. She can't lift it like that. She goes into her room, and then uh, this big uh, cyclone comes, and she hits her head, and she falls down unconscious on her bed. And this whole dream world starts in this delirious state. And uh, she has all of this dream, which psychologically is interesting because, of course, all of the characters in real life will show up transformed in her dream. So uh, the dream begins uh, where she enters into this, this far distant land. And uh, all of the characters that we saw before, the same actors will play them. So they're easily recognizable. Right? The one farmhand will become the lion, one will become the tin man, uh, one will become, who is the other one? Scarecrow. Scarecrow. Okay. And Professor Marvel will show up as the Wizard of Oz. So, uh, from a psychological point of view, this, you know, we can see how this dream world is composed of uh, our understanding, our memory, our experience in the waking state, but based on our fears, based on our anxieties, based on our desires, whatever, it, everything gets transmuted and changed into uh, something else. So this is what we have there. Now, the house that she was in, in her delirium, uh, is, is, is going through the sky. It's being carried away by this cyclone, and uh, she lands in this far-off land. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know anything. She's met by a witch who is a good witch, and by these munchkins who are these little people, and they're all dancing around. They're so happy, uh, and, and they're praising her. She doesn't know why. It turns out that the house landed on an evil witch that they, they didn't like, of course. So uh, they, were, they considered Dorothy to be a, a great hero, and, and uh, they were so happy to have her there. And then the red slippers, which that witch had worn, were given to Dorothy, by uh, the good witch. There was an, another witch who was there. See, we have good, good witches and bad witches. This one was a good witch who really plays the role of a guru for Dorothy. The, giving these uh, ruby slippers is a type of transference of, of power to her, some spiritual power. And we'll find later that she'll even give a mantra to Dorothy. So this power, power of the slipper, yeah. The power of the slippers is that Dorothy can return home whenever she wants to, but she's not told this in the beginning. She has no idea about that. She only knows that there's something powerful. She should never take them off, that, that she'll be saved somehow if she has that. Uh, but she's not told that she can go home because she has to complete this journey first. This is an interesting part of this whole thing, that unless she can go through uh, all of this desire to find something outside of herself, she won't find it inside of herself. Sri Ramakrishna gives a very nice example of a board game where you have different squares and you have to go all the way around. That he says, well, uh, in order to win the game, we have to go all the way around. We end up where we started. But unless we go through each and every square, we won't be able to do it. Now, we could say, well, why not just stay where we are? This is where we'll end up because we won't have that understanding. So this, the good witch, Guru of Dorothy, knew that she had to take this whole journey before she could realize that she had everything uh, already to begin with. So she wants to return to Kansas. She remembers that uh, the, the Auntie M is not well. She wants to return to, Can to Kansas, 
And the good witch, whose name is Glinda, says, follow the yellow brick road, that this will take her to the Wizard of Oz. When she gets to the Wiz Wizard of Oz, he's the Kalpatotum. He'll, he'll fulfill all of her desires that way. So this is the beginning of that spiritual journey. It starts out with faith in the words of the guru and the determination to follow this path until she reaches the end of it. And she has this mantra, follow the yellow brick road, follow the yellow brick road. So that's repeated over and over again. And she's dancing. They're all following her. And she goes there. Now, one by one, she starts to meet uh, companions the companions who will also want to go to see uh, the Wizard of Oz. The first one is the Scarecrow. And the Scarecrow uh, wants to help Dorothy because she stops him, which way should I go? And uh, he can't really tell her which way to go. And then he finally has to say, you know, my problem is I don't have a brain. It's simply stuffed with straw. So I can't think very clearly. Yeah. And uh, so Dorothy says that, well, I'm going to see the wizard so he can help me get back to Kansas. And uh, why not come with me? And when we meet the wizard, you can also ask him, please give me a brain. So he says, fine. So he's the first companion. Then as they're going, they find uh, a woodcutter who is also a tin man. For some reason, this woodcutter is made completely of, of, of tin. And because of rain and other things, he's rusted. So he can't move. He can't do anything. So Dorothy somehow finds an oil can and, and squeaks here all around until he can move and everything. And uh, she says to him, now you're perfect. So he gets very sad. And he says, uh, no, I'm not perfect. When they made me, they forgot to give me a heart. Yeah. So Dorothy says, come with us. Already uh, we have the scarecrow. He'll get a brain. You'll come with us. We'll go to the, uh, the wizard, and he'll give you a heart. So he's very happy because this is a, a great desire that uh, he wants. To, he feels that this is the one thing he lacks. He wants to have a heart. Now, as they're going, they come across a lion who tries to scare them in every possible way. But it turns out that he's a cowardly lion. And as soon as, soon as they confront him, he runs away in fear. And then he confesses that he has no courage. So Dorothy says, come with us, that the wizard uh, will be able to, to grant you courage that way. So we have uh, these three uh, highly symbolic uh, companions of Dorothy. The scarecrow represents the head. He wants a brain. So uh, this is our jnana yogi. He wants, he wants wisdom. Then we have the tin man who wants a heart. Right? This is our bhakta, our bhakti yogi. He wants to have a heart, and the lion represents the hand. So we have head, heart, and hand. Why? Because he wants to be able to, uh, to live in this world fearlessly, to be able to be a, a real uh, worker, to be able to uh, make his way through life in a very sensible way without having all this anxiety, to be a detached worker, we can say. So the scarecrow really wants wisdom. This is the goal of jnana yoga, to be free from uh, ignorance, which clouds our knowledge of real nature, to have discrimination between the real and the unreal, and to find out his real nature. Of course, he doesn't know all of this. But for him, he simply wants to have a brain. Then the tin man, the only thing he wants is to increase his power of love and devotion. This is the goal of, of bhakti. Uh, the, uh, 
The real bhakta uh, doesn't care for anything, for liberation even, uh, anything other than to attain bhakti. This is the, the glory of, of the path of, of bhakti yoga, that uh, the attainment of devotion is the goal of, of devotion. This is a, the bhakti sutras make a very big point about all of that. So he doesn't care for worldly possessions, power, prestige, only the ability to love. So we can say that uh, clearly he represents the bhakti yoga. And then the cowardly lion, as I said before, he wants to be a fearless actor in the world. He acts as if he wants to scare people, but we see that really he wants to be a servant. He wants to serve the Zandharati, so he has that dasya bhava. He has that attitude uh, of, the ser of service, and he wants to be uh, a selfless worker. So uh, all three of these represent these three different paths. Of course, they have many things in common, and, and every spiritual path has things in common, this selflessness, this kindness, spirit of service, humility, these are necessary for all of them, and we see these in these three companions of Dorothy. Now, the interesting thing is that the very virtue that they feel they lack, they start to exhibit. And we find that the scarecrow turns out to be a, a very good advisor, that he turns out to be quite intelligent in helping Dorothy to proceed with things, and the tin man from the very beginning, we see is very loving, has a very loving heart. The lion is a little more complex. Uh, it takes him a little time to find that courage, but once he has it, he realizes that that, that was his real nature. He's a lion. And this is, this is the essence of uh, the nature uh, of a lion. In Vedanta and, uh, and the teachings of Swamiji, this idea of the lion is, is terribly important. I mentioned it uh, in Santa Barbara last night also. Uh, Sri Ramakrishna loves the story of, of the lion uh, and, and the cub. Sri Ramakrishna and Swamiji both tell it. One tells it with a lion, one with a tiger. But uh, in any case, the uh, mother lion, we can say, is carrying the child and, and goes to attack the uh, flock of sheep and uh, dies, gives a birth and dies. So this, this baby cub is raised by uh, the sheep and learns to, uh, to bleed like a sheep and eat grass and all of those things like that. And one day another lion comes and sees what is this, this uh, lion cub doing, living among these other sheep and behaving like a sheep? So grabs hold of it and says, what are you doing? Don't you know you're a lion? So that uh, lion cub just goes, bah, 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 has no idea. And then finally takes it and brings it over to a pond and says, look at your face. He says, and look at my face. You see exactly the same, that you're not really a, a sheep, you're a lion and then he gives him some meat, and he gets the taste of the meat, and he roars and goes off and realizes he's a lion. So we have all of these beautiful illustrations with the, with the lion. One of the most beautiful scenes from the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna comes uh, in uh, M's uh, first or second visit, I don't remember, but uh, M was supposed to go to Balaram Bose's house that night. He went to Sri Ramakrishna and said, will you be singing again? And he said, no, not now, but I'm going to a devotee's home. And go there and you can hear me sing, the Balaram Bose. So M said, okay. And then he was thinking, well, this Balaram, maybe some Babu, that how can I show up without an invitation? They were all Western educated. They didn't think it was proper. So he went back to Sri Ramakrishna in order to ask him, 
uh, or to tell them maybe I shouldn't go or, you know, will you give some introduction, something like that. But MCs that Sri Ramakrishna is pacing back and forth in front of the temple, in front of the, between uh, the uh, Nath Mandir and, and, the, and the Kali temple. And then he says, in the dim light, the master all alone was pacing the hall, rejoicing in the self as the lion lives and roams alone in the forest. So the beautiful image of, of the fearlessness uh, of the lion. So this cowardly lion, uh, it'll take him some time, but uh, as this journey goes, he also, this, this courage comes back to him. So finally, it's a long story after all trials and tribulations, they reach the land of Oz and they try to see the wizard. The wizard puts them off. Uh, and they, they just hear a voice, they don't really see him. They get into his chamber, there's a huge screen, and they see this, this disembodied face there with uh, fire and smoke coming up and very theatrical kind of thing. And they hear this deep voice and he's, he hears everything and he says, no, go, go. And he says that you come back, you bring the broomstick of this other wicked witch who I think was the sister of the one that Dorothy had killed. So already that other wicked witch hates Dorothy that way, and that means you have to kill her. How else can you get her broomstick? So uh, now we have this good and evil fight here, that basically this Dorothy represents goodness, and the, uh, uh, the wicked witch represents evil, and uh, uh, she has to go ultimately by mistake, she throws water on her and it dissolves everything. Water, of course, the image, the idea of purity is there. So this purity uh, will remove all of that evil. But we see, as they're fighting these, uh, that witch and, and, and her little army of these birds that fly and everything, that all of the qualities that each of the three think they don't have start to come out. We see the brain and the heart and the nerve and even the cowardly lion starts fighting, and we see that that strength starts to come to him. So they kill the witch, and it turns out that everyone else is happy also. Her people, are, nobody liked her at all. So uh, they help her get back to uh, the kingdom of Oz and the Wizard of Oz, and they have the, uh, the broomstick there. So again, they go to him, and Still, he puts them off because really he has no power to do anything. So he says, come back tomorrow. And then Dorothy really lets him have it. She chides him and says, what is this? You told us to come back to get this broomstick. We did it, all of that. Now you have to help us. Now in the meantime, Toto the dog goes behind the, the screen and pulls back the, the curtain that's hiding the small booth where our friend, this, uh, uh, what was his name, Marvel, what was his name? Yeah. Professor Marvel there, who, who is really pretending to be uh, the Wizard of Oz. So he's there, and he says, the great Oz has spoken. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> and so then Dorothy approaches him and says, who are you? And he says, I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. And then we see that it's our friend, Professor Marvel, the, the mind reader who was such a nice man to, to Dorothy. So he explains what happened. He was also carried away in, in the uh, hurricane and the storm, and he landed there, and everyone thought he was a great wizard, so we thought, let me pretend that I'm a great wizard. So he took up that profession until his balloon could be fixed, and he could also go back to Kansas. 
Now, none of this helps Dorothy uh, very much because they see that uh, he's really just a phony. He's a scam, scam artist. He's uh, not a real wizard. He has no special power uh, at all. But he's a very wise person. And to each of them, he tries to explain that, you know, really, you already have these things. You already have the brain. You have the heart. You have the courage that way. So what he does, uh, he goes to the scarecrow. And he says, you already possess as much intelligence as all these, these great scholars and great professors and everything. The only thing they have that you don't have is a diploma. So he gives him a diploma that way. So then Scarecrow realizes that he has that power to think, that he always had it that way. And, but the truth is he, he had it always potentially, but he developed it through this whole journey to get to the Wizard of Oz. Then the lion, he says the same thing that uh, really you're as brave as anybody. The only thing that you need is a medal. You get a medal for bravery, and uh, that'll make you feel, at least, that uh, your recognition for courage that way. So, but he realizes also that uh, he, he did so much fighting these demons, fighting the, that army of the witch and everything, that he already had it. Now, the Tin Man, this is the most interesting, because we find some beautiful, beautiful uh, teachings that the Wizard of Oz gives to this Tin Man. First, he says, you really want a heart. Are you sure you want a heart? He says, hearts will not be practical until they are made unbreakable. It's a very beautiful teaching when we, when we look at, even at the life of Holy Mother, how her heart broke, not just when Sri Ramakrishna passed away, of course, that was a, uh, a terrible blow, but all of the monastic disciples that, that died before she did, so her, her beloved Yogan and Niranjan, uh, Swamiji, of course, and, and others, how her heart broke for them. So, so he, he warns him first, make sure that you really want this, that you want a heart, because uh, it's a very breakable type of thing. And then he explained to him that uh, other people, they get credit for having such a big heart, but what is it? They get a testimonial and they get uh, a watch or something like that. So he gives them all of those things. And then he gives them another beautiful teaching. He says, and remember my sentimental friend, that a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. <laughs> so this, this wizard who is just a con man, uh, turns out to be a very wise type of person. So what they were all seeking, they already had. And they had developed it through this. It was something that they carried with them, potentially something that developed, that love, that wisdom, that courage, all of these things manifested through this spiritual journey that they were on. And what are these three things, really? This is Satchidananda. This Sat is this... Uh, goodness, not, not just existence, but goodness, this sattvic quality. And, and this is our selfless action, this is our karma yoga. The chid is the wisdom, this is our, our jnana yoga. And the ananda, this is the love aspect. So uh, what about Dorothy? Dor Dorothy, she's the fourth, she's the Turiya state. But what can he do for her? She's still, so, so she thinks, oh, it's uh, so nice that the others are now content, but how can she get back to, uh, to Kansas that way? There's not much that uh, this wizard can do for her.
Now, what about the wizard? We'll get to Dorothy again. What about the wizard? We can explain him away as, as just a con man, just this false, false image, this, this whole idea of, of, of a personal God who can answer all of our prayers is just completely false. There's no truth to any of this, uh, that it's, it's just, just a dream that we have. But in reality, this wizard is, is a, a very good person, very, uh, very helpful to Dorothy, a kind of loving grandfather figure as an image of God. And there's a, another nice uh, piece of dialogue here. Dorothy scolds him uh, for pretending to be who he's not. She says, you're a very bad man. And he replies, oh no, my dear, I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. <laughs> yeah. And this, of course, seems to be the case. And, and uh, what, what I get out of this, it's not the wizard behind the screen that has to be rejected, but the one the projected image on the screen. That is our whatever funny ideas we have about what God is, frightening ideas, the fire is coming up and the scary voice and all of that. That's our, our own projection. But we shouldn't throw that away and throw the, that real reality behind the screen away. That, that's real. So our, our conception of God, personal God, may be highly subjective, but the reality is real. So this is what he says. Uh, I am a very good man. So, so there is that, uh, that uh, impersonal absolute reality underlying the, the personal God. Just a very bad wizard. Our conception is very often a little bit faulty, and this is why we quarrel with people of other religions. You say God is a father, I say God is mother. This is all the projection on the screen. The reality is, is, is one. So, back to Dorothy. How does she get back home. It's clearly beyond the power of this, this pretend uh, wizard that we have. And uh, he realizes that his cover is blown. So that all the other people there, uh, they won't be very happy with him either. And, and he wants to go back to Kansas. His balloon is ready. He jumps in and he says, come with me, Dorothy. So Dorothy and Toto, they both go uh, into the balloon. But last minute, Toto jumps out. So Dorothy also jumps out. And and the wizard is there helpless, waving goodbye. He's on his way back to Kansas, and she's back there helpless. Now, the Glinda, Dorothy's guru, the good witch, shows up again. She's the one that we had in the beginning. And she explains to her that she always had the ability to return home through the power of the ruby slippers, only she didn't know it. And when Dorothy asked, well, why didn't you tell me? Why did I have to go through all of this to find the wizard and everything? And she said that she had, had to learn for herself the real lesson of the journey, that the spiritual journey is the important part. The reality is the reality, but we won't appreciate it. We won't uh, understand it, and we won't be able to realize it unless we go through this whole journey. So Dorothy realizes that she's learned something very valuable. And then she stammers, she has a beautiful speech. She says, well, I, I think that it, that it wasn't enough to want to see Uncle Henry and Auntie M. And it's that if I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard. If it isn't there, I never really had it to begin with. So this is a very highly uh, Vedantic idea. 
And then Dorothy is instructed to close her eyes, to click her heels three times. She has her magic slippers on and repeat. So she's given another mantra to repeat, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And then she awakens from her delirium. So she's been unconscious the whole time from, from the blow on the head. And she sees Auntie M and Uncle Henry and the three farmhands uh, all hovering over her. And, uh, and then uh, the, the wizard comes also. So she, she's a little confused. She said, oh, you were there, and you were there, and you were the scarecrow. And, and they say, yes, yes, Dorothy. <laughs> they, they try to humor her a little bit. Uh, and this is where the film ends with her repeating that, that new mantra, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. So uh, we have this beautiful symbolism of this where we learn so many wonderful uh, spiritual truths about transformation and realization how these two things go hand in hand, and that uh, it doesn't come at the end of the spiritual journey. The transformation comes through the spiritual journey. At each and every step, we're getting closer and closer. This transformation is, is, is continually going on, and uh, we, we simply have to continue with that, follow the yellow brick road. We have to continue in that spiritual path, and once we go to the end, once we realize, reach the goal, we realize it was our own possession from the very beginning, only we didn't know it. We realized that also that we never would have discovered it if we hadn't taken this journey. This, this whole idea is beautifully summed up in one of the lectures by Swami Vivekananda, and I'll close with this little short paragraph. After long searches here and there, in temples and churches, in earths and in heavens. At last, you come back, completing the circle from where you started to your own soul, and find that he for whom you have been seeking all over the world, for whom you have been weeping and praying in churches and temples, on whom you were looking as the mystery of all mysteries shrouded in the clouds, is nearest of the near, is your own self, the reality of your life, body, and soul. And this is exactly the message that we get in this beautiful uh, story of the Wizard of Oz. So thank you for Bravo. inviting me here. <laughs> yeah, if you like. Yes. He doesn't say it's important. He says we're, we can, we're judged that way. It means that we have to live in such a way that people will love us. We have to be lovable. That means that uh, we don't have any ill feelings towards people, that uh, we, we're open towards other people. We ourselves have to uh, transform ourselves that way so that others will love us. That's just a sign of our, of our own goodness. Both are important, of course. Unless, unless we love other people, we won't become loving people and they won't love us. So they, they go hand in hand. But it's just a, a nice idea that uh, we shouldn't think so much that, do I love everybody that way? But am I li living my life in such a way that others will love me? They won't resent me. There'll be no animosity towards me that way. Yes. 
such a wonderful talk. I've got to see the movie again. <laughs> taking away was the idea that, that we look at the wizard as, as our perception of the divine and then you say we have to look behind the curtain. Do you talk more about that? Yeah. I, I, I take it, of course it's all in my own head, right? That uh, the projected uh, image of the wizard on the screen and the real wizard, that there's, there's a difference there. In the same way that uh, every uh, religion of the world and also every individual, when we think of God, we project many ideas of our own on God and uh, our conception of God is based on our own limitations. So Swamiji says in one place that uh, if, if we try to think of the most compassionate being we can think of, it's limited by our own ability to be compassionate. Right. With, with the avatar, he was talking about one of the uh, special features of the avatar, is that they will exhibit a type of compassion that's greater even than our conception of the highest type of compassion, because we're limited, we, because we don't know what it means. And so uh, we think that uh, loyalty and, and uh, to our own people is a very high virtue, so we think our God loves us more than anybody else. So all of these limitations that we have, we superimpose and we end up with an image of God. And sometimes this image of God will be so childlike that we'll throw the whole thing away. And we'll say that, well, this whole idea of personal God is, is nonsense. That uh, some man on the throne with a long beard, only children will believe something like that, so we get rid of the whole thing. But the point is that uh, it's, it's our own conception that uh, is restricted and limited. But the reality that on which it's superimposed is real. And this is what we call the, the Supreme Brahman, that uh, ultimate reality uh, that we understand in, according to uh, our own minds. Uh, Sri Ramakrishna gives the example uh, that it's, it's like taking water out of a lake. We need a container, and that container will be a certain shape, and the water will take the form of that. And each and every one of us will, will scoop it out and uh, it, it'll give a shape to something which is basically formless. The, the water has no form of its own. It takes the shape of the container. And as long as we think that this is the real nature of water, then there's a certain falseness to that. If we understand that this is our conception of something which is beyond the ability of the mind to, to comprehend, then we can see that, yes, uh, I'm doing it according to the desire of the heart. This will allow me to realize the real nature of God. So then it becomes a, a, a very helpful thing. This is how the worship of the personal God helps us. Uh, Sri Ramakrishna says that you know, the, it's our own power of devotion that is like a cooling power that will make the water form blocks of ice. And these blocks of ice will take the form of, of the desire of the heart. It may be a different form for each and every person. Now, they'll all quarrel, my form is right, this form. But if we know that it's, it's, it's all water, it's all the same, and that when the sun of knowledge comes up, it'll melt back into the ocean, then there's no quarrel. But if we, if we reject this whole 
Well, there's a block of ice as the whole thing being false, and then we lose the water. We lose the, the reality of it also. So we need the, the man behind the curtain. The projected screen, we have to understand that this is something very uh, restricted and limited according to our understanding. I'm confused. Okay. The, everything is, is our projection, and in the end, the reality is one. Yes. And that oneness seems to me that is absolute, and there is no separation of water or consideration of absolutely anything else. There is this one thing. Yes. I'm trying to get to it. Yes. The, right. And the, the journey. Right. I'm not going to find it's the journey of getting there is, that is our life. Right. Right. Well, let me, let me give another illustration that Sri Ramakrishna gives. He says that there is only this one great body of water, we can say, this one pure consciousness, ultimate reality. But this ego is like a stick lying on the surface of the water, giving the appearance of separation, two different sides. And we have different ways of, of realizing that oneness. One is by just trying to eliminate that stick, get rid of it, get rid of this ego completely. The other is to transform it, to make it something transparent, very thin and clear so that we can work through it. One is a path of devotion and the other is a path of knowledge. But, uh, the, but the ultimate reality is, is oneness. Sri Ramakrishna says even through a path of, of devotion, a dualistic path, we end up with that same oneness. Everything ends up with oneness. So it's just a, a different way of, of approaching it. We live in a world of duality. We live in a world of variety. And if, if we can see that, that reality underlying it, then we can go straight to it. Otherwise, we try to see everything as divine, each and every individual thing that way. We, so we have different approaches that we can use. But oneness is the truth, is the ultimate truth. If, and even that is too much to say. The ultimate truth is really something that can't be expressed in words. The idea of the path of knowledge, the, the amount of knowledge is, is, it fills libraries, it fills computers, it is vast, and yet I suspect that the reality itself is something that's so absolutely simple that to, to be lost in the knowledge. Yeah, Vedanta makes a very clear distinction between knowledge and wisdom, we can say that there may be books and books written about different theories and everything, but what's considered to be the, the highest spiritual wisdom, if you want to look at it that way, is a very, very simple thing. It's a very simple thing, but the realization of it is not so simple. That's the problem. That's the problem. But uh, it's, a, I mean, there's a, a very nice Sanskrit verse that says that what's written in thousands and thousands and thousands of books can be expressed in half of a verse that Brahman is the only reality, that this universe has a certain falseness to it. It's the, the, the diversity that we see doesn't have any real, reality to it. And what we call the individual self and what we call the supreme self are one and the same. That there is only that supreme self. And this is the sum of the total of it. Everything else is, is just commentary on, on these very basic teachings. Welcome. You're missing your meeting, Maharaj. No, it's board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> it's board meeting night.
good. All right then. Okay. Yeah. My thanks to all of you for coming. My thanks to Maharaj for inviting me. And uh, I hope that uh, it won't be too long before I see all of you again. Thank you.